0: Welcome to the Emotional Self-Reliance podcast, exploring wellness tools to empower achieving your fullest potential. Your host is Sarah Price Hancock, Certified Rehabilitation Counselor with an Advanced Certificate in Psychiatric Rehabilitation and a trained peer support specialist. Sarah currently works as a psych rehab and recovery consultant, guest lecturing for universities and organizations determined to improve the quality of life by igniting hope fostering choice and accountability, developing empowerment, creating a recovery environment, and finding meaningful purpose. So let's discuss emotional self-reliance with your host, Sarah.
1: You're back! Thank you so much for tuning in to episode three of the Emotional Self-Reliance podcast. I am your host, Sarah Price Hancock, and today as the our traditional first portion. We're going to talk about three things that went well and explain why they went well. And again, I always invite my 11 listeners, all 11 of you, to please go ahead and send me your three things that went well. And when I begin receiving these, I'll be able to share them with you online as part of my podcast. I'll just randomly pick three things that went well from my listeners. There's a radio station here in San Diego that I grew up with and it was the Jeff and Jair show. And it was on air all of my growing up and then they came back when I was older in my thirties and forties. And they always referred to their eleven listeners. So I hope that I have eleven listeners out there. <laughs> but anyway, um today, my first segment, let me just go ahead and tell you of three things that went well today. So, first of all, I got ready for the day. And I attribute that to even when I don't have any place to go, getting ready for the day helps me feel like a productive human. And so I choose to get ready in the morning. The second thing that went well was I drove safely to and from where I needed to go. And I attribute that. To my being aware of my surroundings. And also, gratefully, everyone around me was also aware of their surroundings. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And the third thing that went well was hello, I'm recording a podcast. And I attribute that to my determination to find meaning in my own struggles and my own experiences in an effort to somehow make sense of it. And in doing so, ignite this hope of meaning and purpose in other people who may be living with their own struggles. So today, I wanted to share with you kind of some thoughts on living with symptoms of what people refer to as mental illness and kind of talking a little bit about identity. And in doing so, I kind of want to just start by sharing an experience that I had um, I had the opportunity to go to a service project. I love doing service projects and working in the community and just sharing my time. I know especially when I was really symptomatic, it helped kind of ground me and helped me feel like I was useful and that I had purpose. And it allowed me to not only show others that I could be helpful, but it allowed me to show myself that I was a worthy human and that I could use my abilities, even as small as they were when I was acutely symptomatic, I could use my abilities to make a difference in someone else's life. I went and did a service project. I was living in a new area, and there was a person I'd asked for a ride, and this person gratefully decided that they could give me a ride. And so I was a passenger in their car, and when we pulled into the parking lot, there was this baby blue vintage Volkswagen bug that just pulled in, right next to us. It was polished, it was chromed out, and it was like a 1967 bug that was absolutely gorgeous. You could tell the person really took pride in that Volkswagen. And so I'm staring at this car just enamored by it. I'm not even really a car person, but the car was exceptionally done. And the woman who was driving looked at me, looked at the car, and then turned to me and said, oh, that's my brother. He's schizophrenic. And I had just met her. And I just kind of stared at her for a moment, collecting my wits. And finally, I just asked her, oh, what's his name? So how many times have you been in a situation where you've thought of yourself as just the diagnosis, or perhaps you've thought of a loved one As just a diagnosis, or perhaps you've introduced yourself as a diagnosis. I've heard so many people say, I'm schizophrenic, or I'm bipolar, or I'm borderline, and they don't introduce themselves as I'm Sarah, and I live with symptoms of schizophrenia, or I live with symptoms of bipolar, or I live with symptoms of borderline. And so it's just been really interesting. Once I began recognizing that in myself, I began realizing that I needed to change how I perceived myself. And the only way I could change how I perceived myself was changing my internal dialogue. And so I made this firm decision that I would never refer to myself as the diagnosis. And that although I would talk and say that yes, I have experienced those symptoms, I would never refer to myself as that diagnosis. So, I share this incident with you in an effort to plead with you to reevaluate how you interact with and think about people who live with symptoms of mental illness. I share this plea with you in an effort to invite you to reevaluate how you think about yourself. If you had a sister who had cancer, would you ever introduce your friend to your sister as the cancerous sister? Or would you introduce your coworker to the diabetic? I hope not. (laughs) Or at least, I mean, seriously, I hope not. (laughs) So don't you think it's inappropriate to disclose someone's medical history to a perfect stranger? Why would you do that with someone who lives with symptoms of mental illness? Why is there a double standard? You'd never refer someone as the person with ulcerative colitis or, you know, all of these other random things that people live with and experience. And yet, for some reason, a lot of people have no problem introducing others by their diagnosis or disclosing their diagnosis to perfect strangers. And so the problem with that is that suddenly gossip morphs into necessary knowledge. And it's a little bit of this natural human inclination coming to the surface. I mean, maybe it's human nature to desire to fill in the details, But are those details really necessary? And so there are three primary reasons I think that you shouldn't refer to someone as their diagnosis or even tell other people about the diagnosis, especially when symptoms of mental illness are involved. First, it doesn't allow the person the opportunity to meet a person without that looming negative stigma or discrimination associated with mental illness. And second, the more a person Living with symptoms is referred to by their illness, the more people treat them as ill, even when they're not. And third, when people are constantly referred to as their diagnosis, it leads them to believe that all they are is a diagnosis. And I know for me, you know, when I was very first diagnosed, initially they diagnosed me as having bipolar, and then they cycled through so many diagnoses. That my dad in a conversation with my inpatient psychiatrist, who i would got to know on an all too familiar basis, finally that psychiatrist sat my dad down and said, you know, Sarah experiences so many extreme symptoms of such a broad group of diagnoses that honestly, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what she has. And sometimes I just think to myself, Sarah has Sarah syndrome. <laughs> my goodness. And so my dad said that was um eye opening. And so initially I was diagnosed with bipolar and then it was bipolar with psychotic psychotic features. And then they discovered that the symptoms just, they were actually growing worse. And a lot of it had to do with the rapid changes of medications and things that all of the side effects that I was experiencing from the medications as they cycled me through 37 different combinations of these five classes of meds. So the symptoms just kept growing worse and worse and worse. And so ultimately, they kind of gave me the blanket diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type with catatonia, because it kind of covered all of their bases for insurance purposes. But anyway, so when I was first diagnosed and struggling through the depths of my symptoms, I often sat down at meetings where people spontaneously stood up and moved. And at first, I honestly thought they had to make a last-minute trip to the restroom, because perhaps many of them did. But I will never forget the day when I sat down next to a young woman who got up and moved to the row behind me, when she was questioned by her new neighbor about the spontaneous space shuffle. The young woman loudly whispered, I can't sit next to her. Don't you know she's schizophrenic and she gets shock treatments? That just registered in my mind. I didn't know this girl. She was a member of my church. And I don't know who was sitting behind me. So I don't know if they knew me or not. But the gossip had gone around enough that people knew about my diagnosis. And not only did they know about the diagnosis, they knew about the treatment. And I sat there with tears, hot tears, filling my eyes, just waiting for this meeting to start while staring through my tears at this now dancing shimmery pattern on my skirt, all the while wondering if that was the only thing they saw in me. And as time passed, I wondered if that's all everyone saw in me. There were many dark and dreary moments where that's all I saw in myself. Last was the girl who loved to write and sing at the top of her lungs in the car to the radio. Last was the woman who'd been a college leadership trainer and a camp counselor and an editor for the uh, honors publication lab and for faculty papers in the humanities department at BYU. Lost was the oral historian who transcribed World War II veteran stories. Lost was the interpreter for American Sign Language. Lost was the girl who loved ceramics. Lost was the sister, the friend, the aunt. Lost. And I just became the girl with the mental health diagnosis. And that's slowly who I saw myself. I forgot all of the aspects of my identity, and part of that was because I was struggling so hard with the symptoms. I could no longer see the good aspects of my life. Lost was the girl who frequently enjoyed laughing so hard her face and stomach hurt. Lost was the girl who planned parties and group dates. Lost was the girl who excelled academically. And sometimes I wonder if I would have lost sight of all of those things had more people seen me for my good qualities rather than seeing me as this scary, crazy person. So you might think that my perspective is skewed, and obviously perhaps it is given my experience. Surely my illness affected how I perceived the reaction to others, but maybe it was all in my mind. But then... I remember that situation where that girl stood up and left and sat behind me, and I realized it certainly wasn't all of my imagination. It wasn't a figment of my imagination. It was a result of what I had become, and not only what I had become, but what others had superimposed on me because of this label that they'd become aware of. I had been to social activities where people didn't even know, people I didn't even know, walked up to me and asked me what it was like to have shock treatments. Or they'd walk up to me and ask me what it's like to hear voices. And there were so many times where I honestly felt like I was a freak show, like at a circus. Their tone made me feel like I really was a freak show. And so while it's important to disclose and share and discuss symptoms, it's important to do so in a way that is validating to the human get to know the person as a person and then you can begin to ask questions then you can begin to to share experiences just get to know one another as humans first because honestly we are more alike than we are different it was interesting because a lot of times when i went to these social activities and people would come up to me and ask me you know, about my symptoms or about what it was like to have shock treatments or about what it was like to be in an institution for 13 months or ask me, you know, X, Y, and Z, I would wonder, you know, am I being paranoid about this? Uh, you know, are people asking me about this because in some way I've got like the sign over my head or something? And often I would discuss it with a trusted friend, asking them if they'd heard it. You know, I was essentially reality testing. And my trusted friend always heard the same thing I did. So it wasn't like I was making these experiences up. There were times in my life when those kinds of experiences got me down. But now I've gotten used to it and I actually welcome it. In fact, I think so often it's important to have these discussions with people who are comfortable having them. And so if you know someone who has symptoms and you want to better understand those symptoms, you can shoot me an email. My email is esrpodcast at hotmail.com. So that's esrpodcast at com. You can shoot me a, an email and say, hey, have you experienced these kind of symptoms before? What was that like for you? And I'll answer you. So I guess my question is, when you know someone lives with symptoms of a mental illness, Do you further perpetuate the negative stigma by referring to them as their illness? Or do you refer to them by their characteristics, their skills, their qualities, their talents, their achievements? If the only thing you can see is the illness, you need to look deeper. If you have been diagnosed with a mental illness and it's become all that you can see, or it's become you, you have become the diagnosis, just take a step back and remember. Remember who you once were and what you like to do and where you like to go. Maybe revisit a favorite thing about yourself. Take a moment to enjoy an old talent that perhaps you've shelved while struggling to take care of yourself. Get out of your head. Enjoy something that you hold dear. You know, sometimes it's as simple as smelling a bar of soap. I went to the store the other day and a dear friend of mine bought me some soap. And as silly as that sounds, I have not been able to spend money on soap recently. And she got me this really nice, organic, wonderfully smelling soap. And just smelling it. It was funny. I was walking through the house with this bar of soap to take it in and put it in the shower, and I was just enjoying it. I was just smelling it. And sometimes we really just need to ground ourselves in and help ourselves, you know, stay in the moment. So take a moment to enjoy life. Enjoy something, even as primal as smelling a piece of soap. It might feel awkward, you know, to get out of yourself and to try doing something that perhaps you've shelved for a bit, but get out of your head and enjoy something that you hold dear. And I know it might feel awkward at first, since you haven't done it in so long, but those lost qualities and talents are still a very important part of who you really are. You are you. You are not your diagnosis. If you love or serve, or work with someone who lives with uh, symptoms of mental illness, take a moment to evaluate how you talk to them with, you know, about themselves, or how you talk about them with others, and work to recognize every aspect of this person's identity and their personality. Work to point out their strengths. Work to focus on the fact that that person is Honestly, the child of is a child of God. Every single one of us are. And every single one of us have been given experiences in our life that challenge us. At times they challenge us to our core. And what we really need is we need cheerleaders. We need people to remind us who we really are. We need people to be there for us and to listen to us. And to remind us that we have the strength within, and if we don't feel that strength, we can rely on them, or we can rely on, on exploring spirituality and finding a power stronger than you, stronger or bigger than you, and embracing that. I know for me, that was something I needed to do, because I had gotten to a point in my life where I no longer had the strength to keep going. And I just couldn't do it anymore. And I realized that I, like those 12 steps I'd heard so much about, I needed to tap into my higher power. And for me, that was Christ. And explore that relationship and find power in something that was much larger than myself. So one person, one wise woman, not me, diagnosed with a mental illness, explained it quite simply by saying, My diagnosis is something that I live with, something that I attempt to circumnavigate around, but it is not who I am. So just take a moment. Every podcast is supposed to have a call to action. So in addition to sending me your three things that went well with an explanation as to why you feel they went well, and in addition to sending me questions at my email, E S R podcast at hotmail.com. Go ahead and take this pledge with me that together, as part of our emotional self-reliance 11 listeners, we will all stand together and recognize people for who they really are. We are all humans, and we are all children of a loving God. Thank you so much for turning in to Episode 3. I so look forward to having you come back on Wednesdays, Wellness Wednesdays, for Episode 4. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Emotional Self-Reliance Podcast. For more information about this episode, check the show notes on www.psychrecoveryandrehab.com slash ESR podcast. Was this episode helpful? Leave a review and share with a friend. Keep exploring wellness tools to empower achieving your fullest potential by tuning into our weekly episodes. Until then, take care.